<laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to my weird little podcast. Uh, today, we're going to uh, visit something that I talked about a little bit on Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, which is the uh, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson murder trial, which was featured in The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest on the show. We have David Rawson here uh, from Piecing It Together in his wonderful podcast. Thank you for being on the show, David. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This will be fun. Yeah. So are you familiar with The Conjuring series and Ed and Lorraine Warren, maybe some of their work? Yeah, I mean, especially the movies, not so much uh, Ed and Lorraine's, like, actual real-life work. I've read little bits and pieces here and there, but uh, I've certainly seen all of these movies. They've been such a huge, like, centerpiece for horror movies for the last 15 years or whatever it's been. Uh, it was the first one in 2013, I think. Um, so, you know, they, they're such a uh, cornerstone of, of what's made modern horror movies and yeah. even though they're not necessarily my favorite i'm more a fan of like older ones or especially like over the top kind of like you know slasher type horror movies that's more my speed um but these movies they're they're super important for where horror is at the moment mm -hmm. um i found out today actually that there's another movie or made-for-TV movie that was made in 1983 based on the same case called oh, yeah. the, the Demon Murder Case. And it starred a very, very young Kevin Bacon. And hmm. I thought it was pretty interesting that they had, uh, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. Andy Griffith playing yeah, Ed, Ed Warren, Warren, or the Ed Warren-type character, which I thought was pretty nice. on-the-nose casting um, <laughs> with how Ed Warren is kind of, uh, charming talker um, and good convincer, I guess would be the word yeah, no, for it. Ed Warren definitely has like a preacher vibe. Preacher vibe. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you could talk to anybody and turn you into like a believer, you know? Like yeah. Andy Griffith, I, I feel that. Yeah. I felt uh, that he was better casting than, um, God, who's the guy in the New Conjuring? Uh, John Patrick? No, something Patrick. Pa Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Patrick Wilson. Definitely more I... accurate of a casting than Patrick Wilson, for sure. Yeah. Any pictures I've seen of real Ed Warren. That's yeah. True. Although I will say that they got the sideburns correct. Yeah. Um. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that, that's cosplay, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely uh, Vera Farminja, which I'm butcher butchering her name, uh, and Patrick Wilson are definitely like the superhero version of Ed and Lorraine sure. Warren in uh, the Conjuring films. Yeah. Um, what uh maybe after i talk about this case we can discuss uh, about whether or not uh we agree with that because ed and lorraine warren really weren't the um best of human beings i guess um there's a lot of controversy behind like whether or not they were legitimate or were they frauds and how much they actually help these families versus take advantage and profit off of these families troubles you know and here are the conjuring films um basically depicting them as these like paranormal superheroes that are going on adventures and saving these families from these evil demons and i mean 
I'd say that's that's pretty much like the synopsis for Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, they are like the Ghostbusters, but like religious, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but in real life, like they were really not that. I mean, the books that they commissioned to write. The lectures they did, the interviews they did, they definitely made it seem that way. Mm-hmm. But some people involved in these cases came out saying how much advantage they took. And, um, you know, they've been sued by some of these families. And, you know, finding out a little bit more about them just definitely changed my idea on that. Although I do still very much love the Conjuring films so much. Uh I just get so conflicted knowing, uh, you know, what they, I don't know, that they really kind of hurt some people, you know, but yeah, I digress. So I, I mean, it's easy to see why, like, people like that end up getting the movies made about them, you know, yeah. because th- those kinds of people have that kind of like almost like politicians or whatever, like that kind of drive to like get themselves into the story, you know? And, and yeah. so they, they're not going to just like do the, the good real work and then just kind of just fade into the background and just, you know, Oh, I did a good thing. Like they're, they're going to continue building up their legacy and building up their whole mythology around themselves. So oh, it, yeah. it kind of makes sense that they're, they'd be the uh, paranormal investigators that end up having the big, huge eight movie series. Yeah. Uh, every case of theirs seems to be so theatrical. Um, yeah or at least more more so than the other you know most paranormal investigators are like the flashlight came on by itself yeah you know not (laughs) the doll's head turned around and the chair flew across the room and you know what i mean like watching the devil made me do it just now i was just like oh my god i totally forgot about how much weird shit happened in this movie yeah like definitely they took a lot of creative liberties (laughs) with with this um yeah you're right you know better inspiration than ed well, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. I think also people kind of glamorize the two of them. You know, uh, I've definitely met people who are like, "Oh, my boyfriend and I, we're like Ed and Lorraine Warren," and I, and in my head, I'm like, "I really hope not," because you red know, flag, red flag. Yeah, <laughs> like Ed Warren, he was like having an affair with like a 15 year old girl. Like, is that really like <laughs> that? She was living. She was living with them. Yeah. It was so weird. Nobody mentions that. And that's definitely, I hope that's not what that couple meant, you know, when they said that, (laughs) you know. What was her name again? Annabelle? Yeah. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, um, I'll I'll talk a little bit about uh, this actual case here. So, this all happened in the summer of 1980. Let me say that again. Sorry, I had something in my throat. The setting, the summer of 1980, which I feel like a lot of horror movies uh, happen in that time. So this was like a pretty good coincidence. Summer of 1980. (laughs) This like already starts to sound like Friday the 13th here. And, (laughs) you know, all those great slasher films. Um, And to mention like the movie of this, the made for TV movie with Kevin Bacon, Keep in mind that that came out in 1983 and the book, The Devil in Connecticut, came out that same year. So 
the time period between the actual story and it being profited off of is very, very short here. So, so summer of 1980, uh, Debbie and Arnie Johnson, they go to clean up a rental property. They bring along uh, Debbie's younger son, David. Now, uh, along the day or throughout the day, David uh, is kind of avoiding cleaning. He goes outside at some point. Now, there's like two kind of accounts of this where David is outside by a well or he's up in one of the bedrooms. And he basically says that he sees an old man who tells him that he's uh, the old man says that he's going to kill the family. And uh, Debbie and Arnie basically think that he made the story up to avoid working that day. Um, but David would later start to see other visions of this guy. They claim that his skin was charred and that his uh, shirt, he wore like a plaid shirt all cut up. But the main feature of this guy is that David said that he had the feet of a deer. This guy had hooves, which is like, that's pretty disturbing for mm -hmm. a kid's, uh, young kid's imagination. You know, it's also oh, yeah. you said feet of a deer and not hoof. You know, like that's like well, know. you know, he it's, might it's not always... have known. Like, what? How many kids know what hooves are? Oh no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like that means it seems like he was connecting in an actual. Yeah, that's you know? that's true. whenever yeah. kids say things like that that they don't really. I don't know. That always weirds me out. That's creepy in itself. Yeah. Um. So they call up the service of a Catholic priest who attempts to bless the house. Um, the family concluded the house was evil and they were not going to rent it anymore. So they end up not taking that property. But David continue, continues to have these visions. At some point, the family contacts Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, who had been pretty popular by this time due to the Amityville horror, uh, which had happened a few years previous. Um so I don't know how they contacted them. I couldn't find anything that said how they were able to contact them. But Ed and Lorraine Warren did do lectures all around uh, this area of Connecticut. Um, so, I mean, somehow they were able to contact them. And uh, Lorraine visualized or witnesses a black mist next to David um, and... Uh, Debbie and her mother tell the Warrens that David's uh, been beaten and choked by invisible hands and red marks appear on his neck afterwards and David starts to growl and hiss and speak in otherworldly voices recites passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost which he should not know as an 11 year old child and uh, basically there's a lot more um paranormal things happening in the house that are causing them to be upset. And so uh, the Warrens say that David was uh, subjected to three lesser exorcisms. But I also read that Lorraine, Lorraine Warren claimed that there were 43 demons inside of David, which seems like a, such a specific number, you know? And that's yeah. like that. As soon as I heard that, I was like, that sounds made up, you know? 43 demons inside of me. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, uh, the more specific it is, uh, maybe that's what they're going for. Like if they said forty five, you'd be like, "What did you just round up?" Yeah, and they, that's something they also mentioned in the movie. Like uh, when they ask who the demon is, he says, "I am Legion," and then he said forty two. Yeah, he said forty two. So they just went off one number. Just, they took one away, just so they didn't have to. You know, yeah, make it an even number. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, um, also David apparently has a premonition that Arnie Johnson, who's uh, Debbie, his sister's boyfriend, is going to do something awful, possibly murder. So he's had this premonition. And so one day, uh, Arnie Johnson is so upset with what's going on that he... Uh, holds David and basically tells the demon, which they've named the beast, to leave David, leave his body, enter into my body, and that he says, I will fight you. And uh, Debbie claims that after this, Arnie completely changed and that he would see, she would see him staring out the window and he'd be growling. And as he looked out the window, he would say things like, there he is, there he is he would have like visions of the beast. So um, that he would become violent, smashing furniture. And at one point she heard two distinct voices coming out of his mouth, um, which is probably, I probably pretty freaky there. Um, but I also want to like say that this, this family's probably pretty traumatized by what was going on. So, you know, people who are involved in this having erratic behavior is not exactly, you know, unheard of, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so that brings us anyways to Alan Bono, who, uh, I loved in the movie. They called him Bruno. Um, like, why didn't we use his real name? I mean, maybe because the family wouldn't let yeah, no, them, I but I think that's just also because they depicted him as like this really skeezy, awful person. They like made him like really drunk and greasy in the movie for some reason. And I don't know if he was really like that in real life, but maybe after they didn't get the rights, they're like, we're going to change some things. We're... <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be a drug sleaze now. Yeah. Um, no. So. In, so Alan Bono, um, he owns a kennel in town and he has an apartment over the kennel and Debbie ends up going and getting a job at the kennel and she rents the apartment upstairs and Arnie ends up working uh, at, I mean, sorry, living in the apartment upstairs with her. So one day Debbie and Arnie, so Arnie calls out of work one day. Uh, it's actually February 16th, 1981. He calls out of work and he goes to the kennel where Debbie is. Debbie is there working at the kennel and uh, Arnie's sister, Wanda, who's 15. Uh, Debbie's sister, uh, Janice, who's 13, is there. And uh, Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary, are all there at the kennel too. Now, this also I heard separate accounts where the sisters are there and some accounts where the sisters are not there. And it's just Debbie uh, 
Alan Bono and uh, Arnie Johnson there at the kennel. Or, and so at some point they go and they get lunch where Alan Bono heavily drinks. Um, and then Debbie takes the girls to get pizza and they all return back to the apartment at some point. And at some point, Arnie Johnson, Debbie, and Alan Bono get into an altercation. Um, separate accounts I heard where he grabbed Mary by the arm uh, Alan Bono grabbed Mary by the arm or where Debbie grabbed or uh, he grabbed Debbie. So. Wa- OK, so Wanda recounts the following events to the police that Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Johnson away. Johnson, uh, Arnie Johnson, growling like an animal, then drew a five inch pocket knife and stabbed Alan Bono repeatedly. Alan Bono was alive when the police and ambulance showed up, but died several hours later. Now, according to Arnie Johnson's lawyer, Alan Bono had suffered four or five uh, tremendous wounds, mostly in his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. So uh, Arnie Johnson ended up being discovered two miles away. So he fled. He was found two miles away from the site uh, walking down the road, uh, back to the Gladsell's home. And, uh, Arnie says something happened. I just can't remember. And so he ends up being held at the Bridgeport Correctional Service on bail on bail for $125,000. Um, and this was the first unlawful killing in the Brookfield, Connecticut area. Um, so... The day after the killing, Lorraine Warren calls the Brookfield police and says that Arnie Johnson did this because he was possessed by something, a demon, and that is why he committed the crime. Because of the Warrens' involvement now in this court case, um, media totally eats this up. Uh, The Warrens end up doing... Uh, more lectures and they write a book and there's like a movie that's uh, in the works um, immediately after this case. So they start to like profit off of being attached to this pretty quickly. um, The media dubs this the demon murder trial. And um, so the trial takes place uh, beginning on October 28th, 1981. Um, Arnie Johnson's lawyer attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the preceding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected this defense. So if you ever want to use uh, demon possession as a, as a defense for anything, it unfortunately will not work out great for you there. So uh, word of advice for you guys. <laughs> it's not the best idea. Um, so... Basically, that gets thrown out and uh, due to lack of evidence and that it would be irre- relative and unscientific to allow any related testimony. Um, so without this, basically, they have to come up with a defense of, of self-defense, basically. And some of the details kind of get switched around that, like, Alan Bono had a knife uh, initially. So which is interesting. Um, Anyways, the jury deliberate for about 15 hours uh, over three days. 
before uh, convincing, convicting Johnson on November 24th, 1981 of first degree manslaughter. Uh, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, but he only served five. So after this incident, uh, the television film that I mentioned earlier, The Demon Murder Case, comes out starring the wonderful Kevin Bacon as a very similar character to Arnie Johnson. And Cloris uh, Leachman. And Cloris Leachman is in it too, which is pretty awesome. Um, I thought she was going to play a bigger character. But... She had she was like a small character. She's like a small reporter in it. Um, uh, so then the book, The Devil in Connecticut, comes out afterwards. And in the book, uh, Lorraine... Warren basically states that the family was paid for uh, their part in the book, but sources confirm that they were only ever paid $2,000 uh, for the rights to this story. And when the book was republ republished in 2006, David Gladsell and his brother Carl Gladsell Jr. actually sued the author and uh, the publishing company. So... Um, according to David Gladsell, uh, he says that the Warren family basically blew the story up, took advantage of the family and of his, uh, his mental illness at the time. And his brother, Carl, uh, also states this. However, Arnie Johnson and Debbie Gladsell uh, to this day, still claim that this is completely factual and uh, Arnie was, in fact, possessed by a demon. In fact, they had a documentary on Discovery Plus just recently called, uh, it was one of the shock docs, and it was called The Devil Made Me Do It. And the two of them are interviewed and completely claim that this was true. But also they have the most to lose in this case because Arnie killed someone and uh, Debbie did marry him in prison and uh, they have two children together now. So so that's the true story, which is a little less um, exciting than the latest Conjuring film where Ed and Lorraine Warren are basically detectives uh, and they discover this idol underneath the Gladwell's house that is connected to Isla, the occultist, who's like the main villain in this film. And they're like uh, paranormal uh, superheroes, basically, in this movie. And uh, not quite accurate. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, having heard the true story, how do you feel now about Ed and Lorraine Warren being... Uh, sort of glamorized in cinema these days yeah it's, it's it's so funny because you know these movies they've they've become like the marvel movies of of the horror so world funny. where about that today. yeah every single one of them has to serve as a jumping off point for all these other characters you know and yeah. like so the, yeah it even though you know you mentioned the 43 demons within like i i remember when they were mentioning that i think like you said it was 42 in the movie for whatever reason they changed it mm -hmm. but i remember thinking are we gonna see every single one of these that they're gonna make spinoffs of <laughs> like you know that seems like the route that they would go at that point um 
yeah and and the movie itself i don't i don't know i didn't think it really worked very well uh i i think that there there's been good ones in the series but i didn't really think this was one of them yeah um yeah uh i'd probably agree with that i really enjoyed the first conjuring film uh i surprisingly really liked annabelle even though it was so not at all anything what actually happened with that case at all (laughs) like the real story i think they cover about for 10 minutes in the beginning of the first conjuring film Mm. uh the actual situation between the two nursing students and the the um roommate that's like how the first conjuring film opens up and then the actual annabelle movie is like so left field you know but i did i mean i did appreciate the connection to um the manson case or like something similar you know um in that you know which we could go off on a whole nother tangent about movies that are based off of the manson case uh as well so that could be the next episode (laughs) yeah like the um what was it the strangers that's like based on the Manson about knock randomly knocking on the door. Oh yeah, you know. And, yeah, the home yeah. invasion subgenre. There, there's a lot of really good movies in that in that genre. Oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, I have a little list of movies here that I felt that uh, the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It, reminded me of. Okay. Uh, if you want to hear my list. Yeah, um, let's get those puzzle pieces can, out there. We can, yeah, <laughs> the puzzle pieces. Yeah. Um, so my first one, of course, is the demon murder case, which I mentioned twice already. Sure. But my next one is obviously the exorcist. Mm-hmm. And I think what made, like, literally rewatching The Conjuring 3 again today, I, like, audibly shouted in a slight amount of anger at like the opening shot of the conjuring film, which is a complete ripoff of the famous shot in the exorcist of the priest walking up and you see the light from the window. That's like the famous poster of the exorcist. They a hundred percent rip that off as the opening shot in conjuring three. And I audibly shouted, um, that I was upset about. I don't know. Like, should I be like, it's okay to pay homage, but I don't right. like when right. Easter eggs are that obvious that it makes me feel stupid as a, as an audience member, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, don't, I don't mind it. Uh, if the rest of the movie is worthwhile, you know, if, if you're making a good yeah. movie and you want to, you know, pay homage to other movies that, you know, were, were big inspirations to you, you know, go for it director you know to do what you want to do with that but uh if if then it's just gonna just be a whole bunch of whatever then it's like no you you can't just steal a scene from the exorcist don't do it yeah (laughs) um my next one was the amityville horror which is also like another case that the warrens were uh, a part of um in both movies even the one with ryan reynolds i thought was really good ryan reynolds right Okay. Um, yeah, which I love when he plays uh, scary like people. There's this great Ryan Reynolds movie, sorry, Tangent, uh, called The Voices. 
I don't know if you've seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, though. Oh, my God. Ryan Reynolds plays, like, uh, this happy-go-lucky psychopath, mm-hmm. um, and it's amazing. Um, man, you got to see it. Okay, that's yeah. – I'm just going to sigh. <laughs> <laughs> So um, uh, it reminded me of the Amityville. Well, also because they mentioned the Amityville in this movie. Uh, there's also like a whole, not- yeah, like a direct draw from that film uh, in this film. But in the beginning where they're like cleaning up the house or like going into the house for the first time or unpacking, like that's how like so many horror movies start out where they're, they're like, brand new home and we bought it from the bank yeah this is our new start and we're in this new house uh and i want to say like the others starts out like that too so many many, um that just use this ploy of uh new home you know uh and i guess that's a good way of them you know kind of writing off the you know that way you don't have to believe your children when they're like i heard a weird sound and the mom can just say Oh, it's just a new house, and you're not used to it, you know. Sure, it's like that filter on Zillow. Yeah. <laughs> also, what's with parents never believing their kids in <laughs> horror movies? <laughs> you know. Oh man, um, I think the other film that this reminded me of was Zodiac, with the um, the detective element of it. Sure. Um, yeah. In this movie, they definitely made Ed and Lorraine Warren out to be detectives, which I doubt they ever looked for logical or rational explanations uh, to these uh, happenings because that would not support their narrative. Um, But the conjuring kind of makes it the opposite of that, where they're like always trying to debunk stuff. Yeah. You know. So, like, didn't most of their cases they end up working on? There was no, there wasn't that many cases where they were like, it was the wind, you know, it was something else, you know, like most of the Not time, that they, they wrote just, books about. Right, well, exactly. <laughs> or that they had books commissioned about. That's funny. You know. Well, they had 42 demons they had to fit in, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Always something. I think it's like a, it's like dealing like as a hypnotist, you know, like you, you deal with people that are more like easily bendable as far as the truth goes, you know? So yeah. like, you know, if you bet with someone else, like, Oh no, you're right. It was probably the furniture. You probably don't want to work with that guy. You want to work with the guy that's like, it was totally a demon. I got pulled out of my bed. You know, yeah. then it's easier to bridge that gap. Uh, and you're going to give them like leading questions too, to get them to get to the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of 42 demons, Another movie this reminded me of was 13 Ghosts, um, which is so underappreciated, both the black and white film and the color 90s amazing film with Mr. Matthew Lillard in it, Mm -hmm. who is a dreamboat god. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Agree to disagree. but specifically the morgue scene in The Conjuring 3 where, like, the dead body comes to life and starts chasing around Ed and Lorraine Warren, which I don't know if that ever actually happened. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it definitely reminded me of that, especially, like, the makeup effects, which I will applaud. were fantastic with that character. They're good, but I feel like that kind of just 
discredits the rest of the scares in the film because then it's like, oh, it's a person in yeah. makeup. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, you don't, you're kind of like, uh, I liked it better when there was this invisible force or something. Yeah, and it always does ruin it when you see the full ghoul. When you see the full ghost or the full demon yeah. instead of just, like, hinting at it. I think the movie that made me, that did that the most for me, that made me so disappointed was Signs. Mm, um, yeah. Where it was so scary up until the point where you saw the alien. And then you see the alien and, you know, I mean, granted, though, if I was in a home and I saw an alien like that in my home, I would be scared. But sitting as an audience member was like less than terrifying when you show the full demon. I always think of uh, Insidious movies also. Those those are ones where it's like it's super creepy and then you see this like kind of goofy demon guy and it but one thing that i i like about the conjuring movies in general and insidious is uh the uh composer for the film uh joseph Bashira, mm-hmm. he plays yeah, those that's... demons which is so oh, yeah. really cool i mean i wish i could score a horror film and play the demon i would do that in a heartbeat <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool yeah um so another movie uh that this I have a whole list. Sorry, there's a whole list here. Awesome. Was uh, End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, sure. Basically, he is also a paranormal or religious superhero, um, and that movie is amazing. That movie is like we used to have uh, my friends. We would have uh, sleepover parties where we would just watch Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Um, and we only had limited amount of VHSs. Um, so it was that and Kindergarten Cop. It, it was really that Kindergarten Cop and like uh, Terminator. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched Last Action Hero. Actually, Ooh, that's a good one. yeah. That's a good one. But yeah, End of Days, uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I also put on here, where mm-hmm. that is actually based on a real case of um, the exorcism of Annalise Michelle. I think that's how you say her name. But this was a case that's very similar to this, where a girl had mental illness and her family decided that they, or didn't decide, but believed that it was a um, possession and went the route of religion rather than uh, medical science. And she ended up dying because of, malnutrition and they she was like like thin as a rail had bruises all over her and it was basically neglect and malnutrition she ends up passing away and there was a huge court case about it and the movie the exorcism of emily rose is based on that you know Mm. and i think this is very similar to that which is so sad this is so utterly sad you know uh that that even happened you know, when they could have helped her out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, and so many themes in this film too, like the kid's distortion of his body, like that exorcism of Emily Rose was like the first time they ever had a exorcist, I don't know, a possessed character distort in that way. They actually hired um, a gymnast to play oh, yeah. the Emily Rose as her possessed self um, and have her do these like really, really spooky contortions. So in that movie, like all of that movement that she does is actually real. It's not computer generated. 
Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, because everything looks super CGI here. So that's mm -hmm. why I would say, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. how we do it. Oh, my God, they overdid that. Yeah. The contortion stuff, they way overdid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many times are they going to put in that cracking sound? Like, yeah. the guy yeah. running the sound effects that day must have ran completely out of celery sticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so my final two, this is kind of a joke, but um, I felt that the main actor and – bless his heart and i hope he goes on to have a great career uh but the main character of the of david gladsell reminded me so much of problem child um <laughs> and uh and the bully slash pest on in the movie polar express i don't know if you're familiar with <laughs> no. that but that like really annoying kid on the train i don't know something about red hair and glasses on a small child that's just obnoxious yeah, you problem know. child would say the devil made me do it. That would that would totally. Yeah, happen. exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, my mom used to call me problem child. They should do a horror <laughs> movie edit of that. <laughs> they should do a horror movie edit of Problem Child. That would definitely work. Super easy. That would be awesome. But but yeah, so uh, so that's what I wrote down. You know, of these things that were familiar themes and the the pieces. Yeah. of this yeah no those um, are great those are awesome yeah but yeah but you thanks uh for listening i don't know if uh, you have anything you want to say about this case nothing about the case um i i mean i would just add into your list there i'd add in maybe the x-files as as another one you know as a you know oh, real yeah. case being investigated uh of course you yeah. know i had the exorcist and uh uh, you, you know, another one, actually, um, I don't remember exactly how they set it up, something about, like, the, the totem or whatever that was under the house that was what was mm -hmm. attracting everything. I, I thought of the the burial ground and the poltergeist. So, oh, like, yeah. That, you know, having something under the house that's, like, you know, the reason all this stuff is happening, you know? Yeah. Um, and then... You know, it's kind of hard with, you know, again, I bring up Marvel again, but like, it's kind of hard, like, when we do piecing it together on a Marvel movie, it's hard not to mention other Marvel movies as puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's hard to do with The Conjuring to not mention other Conjuring movies. I felt like The Curse of La Llorona is like the closest tone wise to this one, where it's just kind of like jump scares and yeah. CGI. Well, it's the same director. It is the same director. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it makes sense yeah. that the vibe would be like super similar here. And I, I don't yeah. know why James Wan didn't come back as an actual director and just produced it. Um, hopefully if they continue with like the main Conjuring series, they get uh, James Wan back on board. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Conjuring, 4. Conjuring 4. Yeah. <laughs> the devil did make me do it. Um, <laughs> There's no shortage of stories for them to do. So, I'm sure yeah, happen yeah, that's point. true. That is true. Um, uh, but yeah, I uh, just love the X Files, though. Sorry, now I'm thinking about all of the those episodes, um, which some of them were actually based on like real things too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, throwing a I bunch of stories together, you know, kind of like made me think of that. So. Yeah, I wonder if they had an exorcism episode oh yeah they probably did yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure yeah probably they had to have yeah at some point yeah, yeah. i have to rewatch that show that's so good i'm sure dana didn't believe at first dana never believes it <laughs> <laughs>
Well, yeah, I'd love to maybe in the future talk about some other, uh, I don't know, maybe not Conjuring Universe uh, films, but um, there's so many good ones out there that are based on haunted things and uh, other things that I find interesting. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, But thank you for uh, listening to that and um, putting up with our shenanigans. (laughs) So uh, do do you want to give a little shout out of where uh, our listeners can find you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Everybody can find Piecing It Together where we do like we were just doing, talking about uh, the movies that a movie reminded us of. Uh, we, we do it every week, and you can find it on all the podcast apps and on Twitter at PiecingPod. And you can find my music, uh, which also kind of fits in with you guys' vibe, uh, by davidrosen.com. I have uh, a bunch of albums of instrumental music. A lot of it is very dark, so I think uh, you guys would dig it. Awesome. That's exciting. I'll have to, uh, yeah, yeah I'll have to look that idea. up. Um, but yeah, thanks again um thanks for being on my weird little podcast for us uh like subscribe share follow us on all the uh social medias uh watch my uh, my crummy tiktoks um (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah stay spooky everyone Ooh.